Today is Luke 2, 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Father, as we uh, spend time today with your beautiful word, your scriptures, um, we ask that you be here with us, that you teach us what we want to and need to know from your scriptures through your servant grant. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. <clears throat> Have a seat. Thank you, Susan. And uh, grab a Bible. And if you would, open the Bible uh, to um, Luke 2, the passage passage that Susan just read, but would you also uh, stick a finger in Psalm 13? Um, we've, we've been in the Psalms for several weeks here, and, and I just couldn't get away from them. I was like, we need to, we need to read a Psalm together. Psalm 13, um, we'll get to uh, soon. Um, I, I want to talk, it's so good to see you today. Uh, I love all the red and green. Good job. Uh, I, I always think like yesterday, I go, I should really own something Christmassy to wear on Christmas Eve. And I will not have that thought till the 23rd of next year <laughs> again. So, uh, but it's great to see everybody, um, see some visitors. Thanks for being here. It's great. It's, I hope to see you again tonight. Tonight will be, the music will be beautiful and the candles will be beautiful and, and we'll have a good a good uh, culmination of Advent. We've been in the Advent season, um, lighting candles. And, you know, one of the reasons I always want to tell the story to kids is, first of all, it's a good reminder that this is, this is what we do as a church, to pass, the, pass this faith on to the next generation is, is a huge point of, of being the church. Um, but also, there's a, they're better at Advent. Are you with me? Like, they, they know how many days before Christmas. You know, we all go, ah, Christmas is full of hustle and bustle. That's not what they think. Christmas is full of pizza parties at school and, you know, getting to watch Christmas movies and whatever, and, and maybe even getting a present on Christmas morning. They're just better at that. They have a more natural propensity to hope um, at Christmas time. And one of the best, that's, that's what I'd like to talk with you about today. One of the best parts of Christmas is that if we are celebrating well, it builds our hope muscle. Hope is a muscle. Hope is something that can atrophy. Hope is something that you can forget to live out in your life. And Advent and, and Lent, both of those seasons where we look forward, we have a, a season of, of illumination and joy. And uh, how many of you have Advent candles and candies involved? Oh, bunch of Baptists. Man, boring. What's going on? Uh, Okay, well, we do. Um, nobody really kept track this year. Candy just kept disappearing. But 
You know, but it's good to, to be moving towards celebrating. And then when we think about getting towards Good Friday and, and the Easter celebration, it's a season of sacrifice. And these are good things. They build into our daily, um, you know, daily life uh, hope. Sometimes we talk about hope like it's a thing. Like hope is something we have. It's like an attribute. Um, and I guess that's true. It'd be great if we all lived a life full of hope. Um, but many times in Scripture, hope is not used in that way. Hope is not something you have. Rather, hope is something you do. Hope is a way you live. You are living in light of something that is not present. It's in the future. I hope in the Lord. Did you see? I, 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 I want to remind you I was an English major for almost a whole semester. So my get a little nerdy. But um, do you see how hope is a verb? I hope in the Lord. That's what I do. Even when hope is a noun, even when it's an object, it's almost never passive. I put my hope in the Lord. Hope is something that we do. Lots of big ideas are like that. Love is certainly like that. Love is a noun, but it doesn't exist if you haven't made it a verb. You can't love somebody without expressing that. If you, you don't have love for someone unless you are actively loving them. Faith is like that. Faith is a noun. It's something you have. I have faith. But faith, the thing, the attribute, the thing I think is useless without the actions, the behavior, the works of faith. Faith without works, after all, is dead. So, of course, one of the main through lines in the whole Old Testament is hope. Not just a feeling about the future. The Old Testament saints, the Old Testament followers of, of Yahweh, faithful Israel, did not just have a warm, fuzzy feeling about the future. No, but rather they... The story that is woven through the entire Old Testament is a story that we should live in light of the promises of God. We should live not in light of the current tribulation, but rather we should live in light of what God will do. We are so confident that God will do what He has said He is going to do that we are going to live like it's a done deal. Hope is not like playing the lottery. Right? You could go buy a lottery ticket and say, man, this is my retirement plan. I hope I win. But that's, that's not a biblical understanding of hope. No, rather, hope is behaving in a way that demonstrates confidence in the surety of future events. Which is why Christmas, maybe especially for children, is a great time to work out our hope muscle. Isn't that the whole idea of Advent? Christmas is coming. Not, well, you never know. Sometimes Christmas comes this time of year. No, but I know it's going to happen. You've told your children, Christmas. Five days till Christmas. Four days till Christmas. Three days till Christmas. They know, they don't, they're not living like maybe there's a chance that Christmas will be here. No, you have behaved like it. There's a tree in your living room. That is crazy. 
That's why we have, that's why Advent calendars are so fun. We know that this is a sure thing. We know that Christmas is coming. We've lived like it. We live, we've lived like we're sure Christmas is going to be here. It changes our work schedule. I hope you get some time off this time of year. It changes the way we spend money. Let's be honest. If you did this every month, you'd be in bankruptcy for sure. No, you save for Christmas. Some of you go a little too hard, have to pay off Christmas. It changes the way we view spending and, and, and what's even appropriate for, uh, for us to buy for each other. It changes the way we eat and drink. If you have eggnog in your fridge in July, I don't understand. No, but we have this expectation. We've changed our patterns even of eating and drinking. We've changed our patterns of work. We've changed the way we view each other and money because we are sure that tomorrow's Christmas. That's hope. We're living in light of something that we know is going to happen because hope is a noun. But it is also a verb. It's an idea at the core of our faith, but it is also a way to live. We are called to be people who live out hope. Lots of times, hope is difficult to live out. Almost by definition, if we are people of hope, it's because we're in need. Because we look around and go, we haven't arrived. This isn't perfect yet. My relationships aren't perfect. My relationship with God is not perfect. The culture I live in is a mess. I am sure that God is going to bring the reconciliation of all things together. I know it's going to happen, but I look around, I go, it hasn't happened yet. We're in process. We act in a way that demonstrates that things are going to be different, going to be better in the future. And do you see how that produces a longing? Like I'm starting to get old. I'm homesick for heaven. I don't just know it's there. I miss it. I've never been. I've got just this glimpse of the kingdom of the heavens. I live in the kingdom of the heavens now in some real and tangible way, and yet, oh, I long to be there full time. I long for the sinful part of Grant to just go. I long to meet who I really am. I can't wait to meet the Grant that I was intended to be. With selfishness, not a problem. There's a longing that hope produces. Even a tension and I suppose hope begins in the first pages of our Bibles as the first, our first forefather and foremother sinned. That God, right then, even in the day of their sin, promised that one day He would send someone to reverse the curse of the fall, that there would be someone to crush the head of the serpent, somebody related to Eve. And that promise gets restated and, and you know, uh, what's the word, uh, expanded on and illuminated in beautiful ways with metaphor and covenant and poems and stories. But that one promise that someday God would send someone to make all things right is the story of the Old Testament. People living with that hope that it was a done deal. God promised it. He would do it. And of course, many people, I might even say most people in Israel, Old Testament Israel, 
didn't live with that hope, but rather were drawn away to live like the culture and were sinful people and forgot that God had promised that he would rescue, that he would reconcile everything, that he would make the curse undone. They gave in to living with people around them and like the people around them in sin, in idolatry. They lived like sin and idolatry were a better option than waiting on the Lord. This is the muscle that the expectation of Christmas, the expectation of Good Friday and Easter, when we put these things on the calendar, this is the muscle we're supposed to be working. Getting better at living like God's promises are a done deal. They are going to be fulfilled. Just for an example, did you put a a thumb on Psalm 13? I want you to see this hope uh, written out in a short and mostly sad poem. How long Are you there? Oh, there's pages rustling. I'll let you get there. So David writes to the Lord. And this is something that I bet in some times when you have seen a newscast and you've gone, oh, death and destruction seems like it's raining. Or when you've gotten a phone call and there's been tragedy in your family life. Or or when you have just been a dirty, rotten sinner and just can't believe the depths of your own heart. You know what I mean? Is that just me? Like there are times when we... We think stuff like this. We do well to, to scream stuff like this, to write stuff like this. But David writes, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Had God forgotten David? No. Did David feel like God had forgotten David? Yeah, you've been there. You know what this feeling is like. How long will you hide your face from me? God, are you paying attention? How long must I take counsel in my soul? God, I'm the only one I'm paying attention to. And that's rough. And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Then he's going to bargain with God and remind God of some things. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. God, I'm dying here. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Do you see how hope invades the life of a person who has taken seriously the promises of God? Do you hear, first of all, the lament? How long, God? Why have you turned your face from me? It feels like it's all gone wrong. And do you hear the petition, the crying out to the Lord? Oh, answer me, O Lord. My enemies think they're winning. God, would you please save me? But then in verse 5 and 6, do you hear the hope to end all of that lament with, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. (laughs) God, I look around and I see the depravity of the of my town. I see the trouble in my own heart. I see the pit that I feel like I'm in, but God, I've made my decision. I've trusted in you and in your steadfast love. 
my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Yeah, I don't have a lot around here to rejoice in right now. It's not like things are great. But God, even in the darkest times, I have reason to rejoice. This is hope. This is how you live as a person of hope. This is what Advent is supposed to grow in us. Christmas is coming. I can make it through a bad December 15th. Christmas is coming. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. It's the realization that even in the darkest place of your life, God has dealt bountifully with you. These are Old Testament words. How much more do we have? How much more reason do we have to say these same things? This is how you live as a person of hope. God feels kind of dark right now. God, I feel like you're not paying attention, but God, you have dealt bountifully with me. That's the way hope usually looks. I'm struggling, but I'm not going to live according to the struggle. I'm living according to the hope of Christmas, the hope of Christ. It's such a beautiful thing, and you've seen it too. But when people are hurting and still find a way to be there for and care for other people, that's living as a person of hope. When people live busy lives that just trying hard to make ends meet and get everybody where they need to go and still find time to cook a meal for somebody that's hurting or to sit and talk to somebody who needs a friend or, or to leave their home and go to the mission field. When, pe when people faithfully set aside maybe a tithe for the Lord, maybe offering, or maybe even just money to be generous to people who are hurting. When you see people sacrificially living, that's what it means to live as a person with hope. I'm not going to live by my sight. I'm going to live by the promises of God. When we decide that the ups and downs of life aren't going to be what motivates our behavior, but rather the promises of God are what is going to motivate our behavior. That is hope. I promise I'm getting to the Christmas story real soon. But Romans 5 has a passage that teaches this very clearly. Romans 5, the first five verses say, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That is a uniquely Christian idea. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance per produces character, and character produces hope. So I didn't live according to my suffering. I lived according to the goodness of God in the middle of my suffering, and that made me stronger. I grew in endurance, and that endurance, it, it changed my character. I became a stronger person, a, a better person. I became a person kinder, more loving, even in the middle when I was hurting. And you know what that does is that has produced in me hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, given, uh, who has been given to us. Guys, that might be one of the big ideas of Christmas, especially in light of the Old Testament stories, that hope does not put us to shame. The NASB, the translation that I think a lot of us kind of grew up with in church, says hope does not disappoint. In this world, it's one of the reasons that hope is so weak. Because you hope for a lot of things that don't happen. And it disappoints you. That you get excited, and then it doesn't come true. People let you down. The boss said that you were next on the list for the big promotion, and Joe from accounting got it. Joe. You were planning on that big vacation, and then you broke your arm and couldn't go. Arms. And so you learn to kind of not trust the future. For the whole Old Testament, there was this hope that someday God would send a Messiah to set things right. And that hope does not disappoint. So put your hope in Jesus. You won't be put to shame. Put your hope in anything else. Put your hope in your bank account. See how it goes. You're going to die. That money's staying here. Put your hope in your reputation. Oh, you tweeted something 10 years ago. It'll find you. Put your hope in your friends. They're human. They'll let you down. Put your hope in Christ. And you won't be put to shame. Put your hope in Christ. That hope does not disappoint. In the nativity story in Luke, there are a couple of characters, and I was planning on, on getting to both Simeon and Anna, but for time, poor Anna's going to have to wait till next year. But I would love to take a look at the story that Susan just read us, the story of Simeon. Let's put in, if you still have your Bible open to Luke 2, let's put in at verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem who was full of hope. His name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. All of the years and centuries of promise, the centuries of hope, and this guy has been told by the Holy Spirit, this is the time you are going to see this Messiah that your people have been hoping in for generations upon generations. A couple things about Simeon before we read more of the story. We're not told a lot about him, but we are told that he was righteous and devout. You know, we live in a time, I think, that righteous is still a thing we want to be, but devout sounds stodgy. Devout sounds overly religious. We've seen so much phony devout that genuine devout seems like we don't even want to do it. But what we're told to commend Simeon is that he is righteous and devout. In a time where there was plenty of religion 
but not a lot of right relationship with God. Simeon stands out as somebody who is in a right relationship with God, a devout man. You remember other groups of people from Simeon's time. You remember the Sadducees who are compromised and crooked, have stopped believing, really stopped believing some of the big truths of their own scriptures. You remember the priests who Simeon surely was surrounded by, so many of whom were serving Rome more than Israel, certainly not serving God. A corrupt priesthood is one of the ugliest things possible. Hiding behind their religious power, hiding behind their place in the Scriptures. You remember the Pharisees, the Pharisees that had this veneer of righteousness. Everyone in town would say, those are the righteous people. But John the baptizer and Jesus both say that their righteousness is only external. That it's like a cup that has been cleaned on the outside but is filthy on the inside. That's like a whitewashed tomb that looks good for parade day. You know, you've, you've painted the tomb, it looks white, but we all know that inside it's filthy, full of dead man's bones, no life at all. And in the middle of a season like that, and you know, without calling names and pointing fingers, these are not things that have gone away. A false, a, 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 you know, a forward part of the church that is self-righteous more than righteous and power-hungry rather than servant-hearted. And, but in the middle of that stands Simeon, who is righteous and devout. Religion that's external only leads to abuse of power, greed, all kinds of destruction in the name of God. But devout practices, religion from a righteous heart, well, there's nothing more beautiful than that. It's an encouragement as we think about how we might model Simeon in our generation that we might be people who are not full of self-righteousness, but rather a right relationship with God, that we are people that don't have just the veneer of righteousness, that we don't just look like good Christians, but rather that we have servant hearts caring for others in Jesus' name. That we've developed those devout practices. There were people of prayer. There were people of fasting. There were people of celebration. There were generous people. There were servants of the church and people who give testimony in the world. How can Simeon continue to live a righteous and devout life in a generation so full of compromise and, and self-righteousness? I've struggled with that. Have you? Like, man, sometimes you go, I don't even want to be associated with people on the internet that call themselves Christians. What a mess. How in the middle of so much false righteousness would I live as a devout, righteous person? I think the answer is hope. Simeon's not living according to the Roman takeover of his land. He's not living according to the, you know, uh, self-righteous uh, religious leaders in his day. No, rather, he is living, trusting that God's 
promises will be fulfilled. In fact, so much that he is confident that God has told him that he will see the Messiah that God has been promising his forefathers forever and ever. It's hope. You and I don't live as righteous and devout people because it's popular or everybody else is doing it. We don't do it to look good in front of each other. We do it because we are confident that God will keep His promises. Hope. The second thing we see about Simeon is that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Did you see that? He's righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Isaiah had written a couple of times about a time in the future when Israel would be comforted by a Messiah. And so Simeon, living not in light of the corruption and evil of his generation, but in light of the promises of God, says, I trust that God will comfort Israel. I trust that God will do what He said He is going to do. We would do well, church, to adopt that same thing, to say we don't have to make a ruckus in the streets. We don't have to um, you know, win every argument on uh, the internet. No, rather, what we do is live righteous and devout lives. Why? Because we trust that when Jesus said He had a place for us, He meant it. Because we trust that we are going to see our Savior face to face. We trust that the cross was so all-fulfilling, that the cross was so effective that my sins have really been forgiven and so have yours. And I don't have to live a life of like struggling to win, but instead I can live a life like Christ serving in light of the cross, not in light of the current mess. Hope leads to a devout and righteous life. I would even say that that's what people of hope look like. They're living their lives in light of the promises of God. Verse 27, And he came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought uh, in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said... Three times we've read that the Holy Spirit is involved in this passage. Because it wasn't Simeon's righteousness and devout life that revealed Christ to him. It was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Simeon's intellect or that he was better that he was made aware of the Messiah. It was the Holy Spirit. That's what hope brings. It is not only God at work bringing the Messiah into the world, but it is God who reveals the Messiah to those who are looking for Him. This world has a Savior. It's not me and it's not you. But those who seek find Him. And it's not your work and it's not my work that reveals Him. Although, joyfully, God has asked us to be a part of that. Why He's done that, I have no idea. But He has called us to go and to tell and the whole thing. But it is always the Holy Spirit that reveals the Son to people. God delights to reveal His Son. 
God delights to give a Savior to people who want one. Hope does not disappoint. Trust God. Act like God's promises are a done deal. And He will in due time reveal truth to each of us. And look at what the Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon. Verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for, uh, and for glory to your people Israel. Man, Simeon understands some very important things here that we would do well to understand. That you know, it's a reminder, but this is what people of hope, people who live not according to their current circumstances, but according to the promises of God, this is what they're relying on all the time. First of all, salvation is a person. Simeon sees the Christ and says, I have seen your salvation. Salvation is not a plan, although we can talk about the plan of salvation. Salvation is a... <laughs> hey, Siri! That's <laughs> uh, fun. Salvation is not a decision, although we could say I made a decision to follow Christ. No, rather, salvation is a king and a kingdom. And not a lot changed that day at the dedication of Jesus as Simeon takes the baby Jesus into his arms. It's not like Simeon grabbed Jesus and then all of a sudden Roman spears turned into, you know, balloon animals and the whole thing was changed right away and all the oppressed took up, you know, the joyful palaces. Of, no, that's not what happened. But Simeon sees the Messiah and says, I've seen salvation. Salvation isn't a program. Salvation is a king and a kingdom. And then Simeon says, this, this king, this salvation is going to be first a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Do you know how strange that would have sounded. A light of revelation to the Gentiles? Forget the Gentiles. They're the ones always like on the other end of the spear. Why do we care about Gentiles? But Simeon sees the Christ and he says, this, this kingdom, this king, this salvation, this is for everyone. How will people who didn't grow up with the hope of the Old Testament, be saved, Jesus. How can anyone know what God is like? Jesus. How can people just living their lives apart from Israel, way across the ocean, like in Seaside, California, how could they possibly know what God is like? Well, Simeon looks at the baby Jesus and goes, this Messiah. This is the hope for people in Seaside, California. This is the hope that will reveal truth to the Gentiles. Then he says, 
and it'll be glory to the people of Israel. Glory is the word doxa. It's the, it's the, the way the Old Testament word kavod gets, gets um, translated, and we talk about it a little bit in here. Um, glory has the idea of, of light, of weight, of honor. The, the way I always think about it is, is if there's a whole choir on stage and then somebody's going to sing their solo and that little bitty spotlight goes right on that person and you go, that's glory. It's the spotlight. It's, this is where the attention should be. And Simeon looks at the baby Jesus and goes, this is what Israel's been about the whole time. This was the whole point. This is where the spotlight rests. This is where all of those covenants find their fulfillment. This is where the whole Old Testament, he just called it the Bible. Um, The whole thing, this is where it finds its resolution is in the person of Jesus Christ. All the way back to the promise that God would someday send somebody to crush the serpent's head. Simeon sees baby Jesus and by the Holy Spirit declares, this is the glory of Israel. Christ, the Messiah, is what Israel has been about the whole time. Simeon had lived his whole life with hope. Not an exciting life, I don't think. It doesn't seem like he was a rich man or, or a, a particularly important man. But he lived his life, not just with a warm, fuzzy feeling about the future, but he lived a righteous and devout life because he trusted God. God's promises would not disappoint. And as Simeon declares the salvation of Christ that first Christmas, it isn't that the culture changed immediately. But something is finished. The promises of the Old Testament have been fulfilled, and he knows it right then. As you are unwrapping presents tomorrow, it's not just that God sent his one and only son, although that is the whole story, but there's so much depth to that story. It is that we are celebrating the fulfillment of every Old Testament promise in the person of Christ. God has kept His promise. Something is finished, fulfilled. And something new is begun. A new kingdom, a new people that includes Jews and Gentiles. Salvation of the world has invaded the kingdom of darkness. And that, my friends, is where we still are. In a similar place that Simeon was. We look around and go, man, I don't see a lot of hope when I look out in town. And I look at my own heart and I go, I have not given myself that much reason to hope. And I look at the, you know, the, the things in my life and I go, what would I put hope in? But I know that God has promised that he would come back. I know that God has promised that he has made a place for me. I know that he has fulfilled every promise of the Old Testament and will fulfill every promise of the New Testament. So the question is, do we live in light of the broken culture? Are you angry all the time? Instead, why don't you be a person of hope? 
Are you miserable because of what's going on in the world or your family or in your own heart? Well, instead, why don't you put your hope in the Lord? Hope that in Christ we're secure. You're going to be okay. Hope that in Christ there's a place for us in His kingdom. Hope that in Christ we have all we need. Advent this season can be great for us to practice hope, but it's just an exercise. Because it's pretty easy to have a season of hope and and then a season of returning gifts and then a season of back to normal. It only is helpful if we are using this season to practice the hope that comes with the light of the world with the truth that God has sent His Messiah. Living with hope, living in light of the incarnation means living devout and righteous lives all year long. Generosity, mercy, kindness, forgiveness, sacrifice, and service. Because we are people of hope. And hope in Christ will not disappoint. Amen? Let me pray, and then we'll sing a Christmas song together. God, thank you for not disappointing us. Lord, we are disappointed. We don't see everything clearly, and so there's disappointments all over the place. God, sometimes we feel like the psalmist going, God, I don't see it. Where are you? And yet, God, at the end of the day, we will sing because you have dealt bountifully with us. Lord, would you call us to that devout and righteous life? Lord, living not in light of the busyness and hurry and pain and, and, and difficulties of our day-to-day life, but rather, God, living the truer truth that you have kept your promises and will keep every promise in the future. Lord, would you make us a people of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.